Hello, community of faith. I am so happy that I have this opportunity to share the Word of God with you. I want to thank Mark and Laura for inviting me to do so. I mean, um, I know that we're going through this uh, unusual situation. We're all surely feeling it. I hope that you are all safe, that you're uh, taking care of yourselves. I know that uh, the country is starting to reopen. I will really pray for all of you guys so that you will do it carefully. And um, you know, um, we are having a, a tough time here as well, and um, I decided to go today uh, to one of the best places in the Bible uh, when you face situations like the one that we're facing, which is the book of Psalms. See, the book of Psalms was the, the, the book of prayers, the Jewish prayers that were sang, but, you know, they are very interesting because they are very real, very intense, very profound prayers. And, and if you go through the book, it's going to take you um, to, to learn how to deal with all kinds of emotions. Whether if right now you are suffering or, or, or maybe uh, you're afraid or you have doubts, what, whatever the case of a negative emotion, the book of Psalms will, will help you to deal with it, okay? Um, today, we're going to um, study and meditate on on a, one of the most powerful psalms, which is Psalm 91, which is the reason why I uh, call this message in the shelter of the Most High God, okay? And, and we're going to do both things because that's one of the things that I have learned that not only do you have to study Scripture, but you have to then meditate on it, comparing it to the whole context of the Bible. And that's what we're going to do today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Psalm 91. Let's pray. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for your love. Uh, I thank you, Father, because we know, uh, especially through, through passages like the one we're going to read today, that even in the midst of everything that is happening, you are in control, that you have us, Father, that you have this. And I know, Father, that you are doing something with what's happening. So I'm just going to ask you to allow us to, to connect with you so that we can understand what exactly are you trying to do in our hearts through this experience. We want to come out of these changed people. We want to be closer to you, know you better, understand you better. And I know that the only way to do that is through the study of your words. So, so be our guide, be our light. We place ourselves in your hands. And I pray in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, Psalm 91, see, Psalm 91 uh, can be divided in three parts, the premises, the promises, and the blessings, okay? Um, today, what I'm going to do is we're going to focus on the premises, which is the first two verses, verses one and two, because you're going to see as we study these that if you understand in depth, you know, like in full what verse one and verse two say, then you're going to understand how can you claim those promises and receive the blessings. That means you will understand the whole psalm, okay? Um, I'm going to read the whole psalm first. Psalm 91 is going to be shown here on the screen. If you're following me in your program, you will see that it's not there in full, um, but you can follow me in the Bible or here on the screen. I'm going to read from the New International Version, and it reads like this. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. 
A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, th this psalm is one of the most beautiful psalms and, and, and it's one of the most encouraging psalms. And, and when we understand verses 1 and 2, we will understand why is it so encouraging. See, the promises contained in this psalm have been the source of comfort for thousands of people throughout the years. And if you notice the, the, the different lines that we read, they're like an integral part of our prayers, of our usual prayers. Like every time that you're praying for someone that is going to go maybe into missions and you know they're going to be facing dangerous times what we say is like father surround them with your angels and protect them and so we're making reference to to, to this psalm okay and to other psalms but this one in particularly um, additionally we're going to see that there's a couple of verses in this psalm that will teach us the danger of misinterpreting the Bible of trying to understand passages, taking them completely out of context and out of the relationship that they should have with the rest of the Bible, okay? So, um, as I said, we're going to concentrate on verses one and two, uh, and they're gonna tell us who can claim these promises and who can receive these blessings. Let's read verse one. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, so this verse says that only he or she who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will be under the protection of the Almighty. Only the person, the, the people that truly trust in God will be liberated from all these things that the psalm promises. You know, we will pray and he will listen to us and at the end he says we, he will be blessed with a long life and salvation. This is why it's so important to understand the first two verses. Because it's only the person that understands this will receive all these promises and will receive all these blessings. Okay? So what I want to do is um, I want to study the meaning of four words that are in verse 1. And they're going to open up our understanding of this psalm. Okay? The words are dwells, shelter, rest, and shadow. They have a very interesting relationship between them and combined with the two names that the psalmist used, the Most High and Almighty, are going to help us understand entirely what he meant, okay? So let's go with that. First, dwells. The, the word dwells, the, the word in Hebrew, literally means to sit down. But it communicates the idea of sitting down like calmly, like completely relaxed. So try to picture like your favorite couch at home, you know, when you come back from a long day of work and, and what you're picturing yourself is coming home and just crashing in your favorite couch, maybe lift your, your, your legs on top of it. You know, that's the idea that it's passing here. Some place where you sit calmly. Then the second word is rest. Uh, some versions of the Bible uh, translated as abide. But literally the word in Hebrew means to spend the night. So the idea that he's trying to, to, to convey here is like your bedroom. You know, this place where you come at the end of the day and you're going to rest, but you're going to rest being safe, feeling completely secure. So 
Both words combine the idea that what Jews are supposed to do is try to make out of God your permanent place of relaxation, of rest, of repose, you know. Uh, so what he's saying is this person that dwells and abides at the shadow of the Most High is not just passing by. See, it's a place where you want to stay there permanently. Now, it doesn't mean that you go there at night. It's where you live all the time. See, um, there's a show on TV. You know, now they're very popular, these shows where they remodel houses. Uh, Karina loves those shows, so we watch a lot of them. And um, there is one in particular for the, that is made by the Scott brothers, Jonathan and, and Drew, and it's called Your Forever Home. I don't know if you've seen that show, but the premise of the show is uh, everyone would love to live in their forever home, a place where you would never want to move away from, okay? But few people do. But the premise is, if you allow these two brothers to come and remodel your house, they're going to leave it in a way that is going to truly be your forever home. You will never want to move away from there. Well, this is the idea that this verse is, is passing to us about being in God. But, but in reality, in, in a real sense, in a spiritual way, because we both know, you know, we all know that even if at the end of that show, you know, people come and see the house and they start crying of happiness and the house is beautiful. 20, 30 years from now, that house is going to look old. It's going to look obsolete. You know, some people are going to see it and, and say, I can't believe we used to build like this, you know, things like that, because it's going to get old. But what he's saying here is once you taste dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, you will never want to leave that place. It's kind of the idea uh, of what Peter said when Jesus asked his disciples, so are you two going to leave me, abandon me? And Peter said, and where would we go? To whom would we go? Only in you we can find peace. So this is the place where you know that you're truly safe, that there's nothing that can harm you, okay? So to dwell there, you know, gives you security, and to have that security helps you to rest, all right? Okay, those are the verbs. Now let's see the two nouns. Shelter and shadow. See, shelter uh, literally means hiding place. Uh, some, some versions of the Bible translated as a secret place. But what they're trying to convey here is the idea that this is the place where you go and hide. It's your refuge in the middle of a storm. Okay, so, so shelter is the place where you hide, that secret place where you are safe from the storm. And then shadow conveys the idea of something that extends above you but to protect you, okay? And, and you know what's very interesting? The fact that Jesus, with his life, uh, gave testimony of those two characteristics of God. Like when, when Jesus arrives to Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I try to gather all you children like a hen tries to gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me, and he's crying. You know, he's, he's talking about this shadow that extends above them and he's trying to protect them, but they wouldn't let him. You know, or, or, or when they are going, and, you know, the disciples and Jesus in the boat, and all of a sudden the storm hits the boat, you know, and Jesus is asleep, and, and the disciples wake him up, and he gets up, and he calls the storm, and everything stops, and the disciples just fall to their knees and say, who's this guy? Even the ocean and the wind obey him. That is a refuge in the middle of the storm, okay? So the person that this verse 1 refers to, because he's not talking about himself, he said, whoever lives there, whoever shelters there, you know, he's, he's talking about a person that delights in being with God, being in his company because he, he feels rested, he feels secure when he's there with God. But that rest, that security 
are directly related to the character of God that is described by the two names that the psalmist used, Most High and Almighty. See, so let's analyze those two names. See, the name Most High in Hebrew is El Elyon, and it means God, the highest power in existence. See, El Elyon is a combined name, it's a compounded name, two words. El, usually the Bible translates it as God, just simply God. Every time you find God, usually it's El. But sometimes that word is associated with, with the power uh, of God to do something violent, you know, to, to, to take some action that can be drastic. For example, um, you remember uh, the time when Jacob tries to run away from his father-in-law, Laban? You know, he spends 14 years working there with Laban. Laban kind of tricks him, and then he gets tired of it, and he runs away one morning, and then Laban, three days later, catches up with him. Once he catches up with him, he says, why did you do this? Why did you run? Don't you know that I have power in my hand to harm you? And that word that he uses there is L. Okay, so L means power, you know, means, means strength, okay? And combined with Elion, Elion means elevated, supreme, you know, higher than anything else in existence. So combined is the highest power in existence. See, um, Jesus makes reference to, to this um, uh, characteristic of God in, in John 10. Do you remember when, when Jesus introduces himself as the good shepherd? Listen to these words. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And that's what he's talking about. He's higher in power than anyone. He says, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we rest in the hand of the Father, in the hand of Jesus, because they are one, okay? And we are in a place where no one can separate us from his love, okay? So we are in the hands of the Most High. Now, um, the second name is Almighty. In Hebrew, that word is El Shaddai. Uh, El Shaddai. And, and even though El describes power, combined with Shaddai does not relate to violence. It relates to generosity. So it means God all-powerful in generosity. See, Shaddai is a very interesting word. That it, it's, it's interesting to find out how it became to mean uh, Almighty. Because Shaddai literally in Hebrew means one who has breast. Uh, it derives from the, from the word breast, of the woman breast, okay? So, so what it means is he's powerful to nurture, to satisfy, to, to supply. And, 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 and if you wonder how did it pass from one thing to the other, see, the best image that you can uh, get, it's precisely uh, one of um, a mother who's breastfeeding her baby. See, if you've ever seen a, a baby that is crying desperately, you know, and, and the, the mom is trying to calm him or even the father trying to calm him, give him a pacifier and the baby spits it out and still screaming. But the moment that the baby comes close to the mom and sees the breast of the mom relaxes, completely calm. So this is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, the one that quiets down people, the one that, you know, makes you relax immediately. See, this is uh, the, with the name that he revealed himself to Abraham. And this was not the God of the sword that was going to do something violent. It was the generous God, the God that gives himself to his creature. And this is why it has the power to, to, to quiet you down, to give you, uh, like, rest. Okay, so El Elyon, security, El Shaddai, peace and quiet. Okay, uh, we also see these qualities in Jesus. 
when he says, uh, all those who are thirsty come to me and drink, you know, or all of those who are weary come to me and I will give you rest. See, when the world is in turbulence, we quiet down when we're in his hand, in his breast. So the knowledge of the character of God is what makes us yearn to be in him, to stay in him permanently. And that security and that rest always is there, especially in the middle of the storm, like the one that we are facing right now. So when we understand these things deeply, we can say with conviction, like the psalmist, what he said in verse 2. Look at verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. See, uh, when he goes from verse 1 to verse 2, he goes from the general to the specific. See, there's, there's a change between verse 1 and 2. In, in verse 1, he says, whoever dwells, that's very general. But he gets to verse 2 and says, I will say to the Lord, I will say to the Lord. That's very personal, okay? So he is inviting us to have a relationship with God with two other names that mean two other characteristics of his character, okay? And what he's telling us is that, see, the, these aspects of the character of God that are manifested in these names are, are great when they are combined because one is exalting his righteousness and the other one is exalting his faithfulness. Let's see this, these two names because this is amazing. This, this should give you, when you understand these two names combined, security in God. Okay? The first one is the Lord. I will say to the Lord, that word in the original is Yahweh. Yahweh. Uh, and it means the God of righteousness. See, this is the name that he used to introduce himself to Moses. You remember when he said, I am who I am. Tell them then, I am send you. So, so it describes a God that because he is what it is, he loves righteousness and despises evil people. You know, evilness, bad, you know, the, the people that are unrighteous, he despises, okay? Uh, so he's revealing him as the God of justice, uh, uh, as the, the righteous judge that demands obedience to his commandments. Now, it's very important to understand that just because he is righteous doesn't mean that he doesn't suffer when he sees the stubborn heart of his people that continue to sin. As a matter of fact, it is because he suffers. You know, the Bible says that God suffers when he sees us you know, stubbornly following the path of sin. And, and that suffering is what pushed him to pour out his grace, his power, his wisdom to justify the unjust without violating his justice. See, we can see this in Isaiah 63 verse 9. L listen to what he says here. He says, in all their suffering, that's us, he also suffered. So God suffered when he saw us suffering for living in sin. It says, and he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. So the heart of God is broken. He's afflicted. He's suffering when he sees the sin of his people. And he doesn't want us to be lost. He doesn't want us to be lost. So in his love, what did he do? He redeemed us. So, so just think about that. What Christ did in the cross not only fulfilled the justice of God. You know, he justified the unjust without breaking God's justice. Not only that, he also calmed the affliction of God. And we see that in Isaiah 53, verse 11. He says, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sin. So the Father 
through the Son, is justifying the sinner, the unjust, without breaking his own justice and calming the Father's heart. Okay? But there's something else that is really beautiful and that is going to like round up all the blessing that this psalm is trying to communicate. See, maybe you question sometimes or you wonder, like sometimes I did, you know, uh, whether if uh, Yahweh, who is described as the God that you know, abhors sin but, but, but loves righteousness, whether if he was one day going to get tired of you, you know, like if he hates sin so much, isn't he going to get tired one day of me? Because I keep tripping, I keep making mistakes. I mean, is there going to be a day when he's going to say, well, when did I think of saving this dude? You know, like the answer to this question is no. He's never going to get to that point. And the reason for that is because he's not only Yahweh, he's also my God, which the word is Elohim. And Elohim means the God of the covenant. See, what the psalmist is trying to tell us here is that God entered into a relationship with you and I, but it's not only a relationship of righteousness. It's a relationship with a covenant. See, Elohim is the name that uh, God used when he introduced himself in Genesis when he was making the covenant with Abraham, a covenant that he made under an oath, okay? So, so, so uh, Elohim means one that by virtue of his own nature and the relationship with covenant with his creature, he can never abandon his creature even though the creature is fallen until everything is restored. He used his name to do all the covenants, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with his people, with Noah, with David, with Jacob, with, with Joshua, with all of them. He always was Elohim. And under his name also, he introduced to us the new covenant. And, and you need to understand what he did with the new covenant because this is the amazing thing that is going to provide security in your heart. See, what God did was grab your heart put it close to his and tie them together. And the rope that he used to tie them was the unbreakable rope of Jesus' righteousness. So this is why, you know, in, in, in nothing can separate you from the heart of God. Nothing, because it's based on the righteousness of Jesus. This is a beautiful relationship between uh, Yahweh and Elohim that you need to see clearly. See, we can see it very clearly in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and 32. Listen to what it says. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and that word means Yahweh, that's the, the God of righteousness, when I will make a new covenant. So now is Elohim, the God of the covenant. It says uh, that I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So he's saying, uh, I had a covenant in the past with their spiritual ancestors, but I'm making a new one and it's different. There's a huge difference. What is the difference? Look at verse 32. It says, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So our spiritual ancestors, the people of Israel, uh, broke the covenant invalidated the covenant. They, they found the out clause and they, they, they used it. How? By disobeying. They started chasing after other gods. They started marrying with people of other nations. They started adopting their gods. So they broke the covenant. But he says here, this new covenant, you cannot break it. Why? Because it's not dependent on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of another one, who is Jesus Christ. See, this covenant is sealed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why uh, the author of, uh, of Hebrews says that the new covenant has better promises. 
because they are based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we couldn't break the covenant even if we wanted. This is an eternal covenant. He will be our God, we will be his people, and nothing can break it. So it is because of the meaning of the combination of these two names that you can fully put all your trust, all your faith in Jesus, and this should give you your security of salvation. Because if you have placed your faith in him, there is absolutely no power in the universe that can break that deal. Okay? So, he is the God of all righteousness, but he's also the God of the covenant, and he's always faithful to his word. When, when, when the doubts come, when you start wondering if because you make a mistake, you trip and fall, and you're wondering, you, what you need to do is what I do all the time is preach to myself passages like this. And this is particularly important when the storms of life arrive, that you remember these things. Now, see, this is the analysis of this psalm. But we need to do a, a, a small meditation on it because there is a risk at misunderstanding what this psalm is really saying. See, uh, what is the meaning of this promise? See, uh, the, 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 in short, the promise of this psalm is God will keep you safe, right? Uh, he said, I will protect him. You know, nothing will happen to you. But what does that really mean? See, I'll tell you what our enemy wants us to think that it means. Uh, you know what, what the job of Satan is? What he's trying to do all the time? He's trying to get you away from the right path, astray from God, to stop studying his word, to stop being close to him. He cannot make you lose your salvation. We just read that. Okay? We just saw that if, if you put your trust in Christ, that's unbreakable. So what he tries to do is try to get you away from the path so that you will not shine with his light in order to other people to see that light and then be saved. That's what he's trying to do at all times. Okay? So what he wants you to do with this psalm is to misunderstand it. He's trying to use this psalm to lead you away from God. And, and if you ask, how do you know that he's trying to do that with this psalm? Because that's what he did. It's, it's written in the Bible. See, we can see how he used this very psalm to try to take Jesus out of his path. You remember in, in, in Luke chapter 4, uh, you know, Jesus starts his ministry by being baptized, goes 40 days to, into the wilderness, and he's fasting 40 days, 40 nights. And as soon as he finishes that fasting time, Satan comes and tries to tempt him, remember? Here's one of the temptations. Luke chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. It says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Satan is about to quote the Bible verbatim, okay? It is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you see what he just said? He just quoted Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. And this is what he's telling Jesus. He's saying, if God really loves you, He's not going to let you suffer. Because that's what says Psalm 91. He's very innocently, look, look, it says it here in the Bible. Okay? So can you see the strategy that he's following here? See, uh, Satan knows that if he can get one Christian to believe, if I am truly a Christian, then nothing bad is going to happen to me ever. Maybe, maybe some things, but not something really bad. You know, if you fall for that trap, when bad things happen to you, and, and, and listen, they are going to happen. Jesus warned us 
that we're going to find tribulation in this life. But if you fall for this trap, when these things happen to you, you're going to run away from God. See, um, I think of uh, people that when we um, came back from vacation, Karina okay, and I went to, uh, on vacation uh, in the beginning of March. And, and we went to a place that was one of the worst outbreaks of, of this COVID-19. You know, we were in Barcelona. You know, and, and we saw firsthand the devastation that it was causing, the fear in people's faces. You know, it emptied in a week. And, and, and when we came back, the first thing we did is we said, we're stopping live services. We need to go digital, okay? And there were people at that time that said to us, where's your faith? If you have faith, you will still be coming to church. We'll still be getting together. See, there were other churches here in Cancun that ignored the threat. You know, the government here was downplaying it, and, and, and they ignored. We saw it firsthand, so we came, you know, like, well, no, 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 this is going to get really bad. And other churches, even when the government told them to close, refused to close them and kept gathering together. The pastor of one of those churches died last week, and he left behind a congregation of confused and angry people. And people now are saying, these promises don't work. Or we didn't have enough faith. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. To think that what God is saying is nothing absolutely bad is ever going to happen to you. And I don't know if, if, if you are among these people that believe that that's what this says. But listen to me. That is not what this psalm means. And, and when we want to understand what something in the Bible means, what we have to do is compare it to other passages of the Bible. Because the Bible will never contradict itself. Okay, so I'm going to show you uh, two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, okay? Uh, one of the ways, there's many, but one of the ways in which you can understand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the lessons that the New Testament teaches oftentimes are shown graphically in the life of the people that lived in the Old Testament. And this is exactly what we're going to see here, okay? The first passage, both are very well known. Uh, it's found in Genesis 50, and it's the story uh, of Joseph. You remember Joseph, the, the 11th son of Jacob? See, uh, Joseph, when he was young, uh, was uh, not a very nice person. He was a spoiled brat. Uh, his father, Jacob, played favorites, and he was his favorite. I mean, he was clear. He gave him different clothing and stuff, and he was always telling on his brothers. And so his brothers hated him. So what happened, if you know the story, is the brothers planned to kill him. One of them says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just put him in this pit, you know, and he plans on going to rescue him later. But the other brothers, you know, what they do is they take him out and they sell him as a slave. You know, this, this Ismailites are passing by. He sells them, they sell them to, to, to the Ismailites. They take him to Egypt. Uh, these guys sell him as a slave in Egypt to a guy called Potiphar, who works for the Pharaoh, for the army. And, and, and he's prospering there, even as a slave. But then he's accused falsely of a crime. You know, they, they, the, the, the wife of Potiphar accused him of, 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 he tried to rape her, which he did not, but they throw him in jail. He's in jail. He starts prospering there. But uh, uh, he helps a guy who promises that when he gets out, he's going to help him, but he forgets about him. He lives in there for years. But, you know, finally, if you know the story, um, you know, he, he, even in the midst of all those terrible circumstances, he never goes away from God, and God is always with him. So eventually, he gets out. He helps the Pharaoh by interpreting a dream. Then he saves the people of Egypt from, from a famine. It's gonna, they're all going to starve to death, but he saves them. But not only does he save Egypt, 
uh, he also saves his own family because uh, the father sends the brothers to Egypt to ask for, for, for food. And when they get there, you know, they don't know that the guy that is handling all the food is, is it's Joseph. And they come to ask for food. They don't recognize him. He knows who they are. So he plays them a couple of tricks that honestly they deserve. You know, like, I mean, they sold him as a slave, you know. Uh, but then he reveals himself and they all cry and hug each other. And, and they bring the father later. You know, they all come to live there, which is the way that God provided for a safe place for the people of, uh, well, back then it was the Hebrew people, to become a nation. Because 70 people come in. When they leave, more than 2 million people go out. Okay? Uh, but... Um, see, they are all happy, they are, they are given a place to live, and they're all fine. But then, at the end of Jacob's life, you know, Jacob dies, and the brothers of, of Joseph get really afraid. You know, they think, uh-oh, you know, he had been nice to us because our father was here, but now that he died, let's see if he doesn't get revenge. But these are his words to them. It's Genesis 50, verse 20. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see what Joseph is saying? He, he's recognizing things. He's saying, I was a spoiled brat. I was going in the wrong direction. Our family was clearly dysfunctional. My father had favorites. If he, God, not allowed uh, for me to have been sold, enslaved, in jailed, you know, for, for all this time, I would have never become the second man in power in Egypt, and I would never have been able to not only save Egypt, but save my family, help us repent from our bad behaviors. See, you intended it to harm me, but God used it for good. So what he's saying is, God was keeping me safe. He was keeping me safe in every part of my, my journey. While I was a slave, while I was in jail, you know, while I was making decisions as a, as a leader in Egypt. When, so, so, so God was keeping me safe. See, I read a, a commentary this week that said something very interesting. He says, in some occasions, El Shaddai allows us to be tested and afflicted to empty us of ourselves so that he can fill us with him and his blessings. See, what he had to do with Joseph is first emptying him of himself. You know, for us, see, we're facing a, a, a very hard situation right now. And I know God is doing something. You should be wondering, what is God trying to do in my heart? And what he's doing with us is he's emptying us of us, of our idols, of all those things that we thought that were our security, you know, that we were safe because we had this, if we had money or power or businesses or whatever. He's emptying us of all of those things so that we can understand that all we need is him. He is our security. So Joseph, in retrospective, is saying he, he was keeping me safe. I mean, the life didn't look very promising, but I was always with him. And see, all this that we just read, is studying one lesson in the New Testament by Paul in Romans 8.28. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So you see how he's teaching exactly the same thing? He's saying, for those who love God, for those who are always with God, for those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, all things work together for good. Did you, did you notice exactly what he said? Because he's not saying everything that's going to happen to you is going to be good. That's not what he said. He said everything that happens to you, and that means good things, bad things, neutral things, everything that happens to you is going to be used for your good 
if you follow his purpose, if you keep living for the purpose of God. Okay, so yes, we're going to suffer, we're going to go through some bad things, but at the end of the day, and look, uh, some of us probably won't even see what these things are accomplishing for God. Joseph was lucky, you know, God allowed him, he was blessed, not lucky, God allowed him to see what he accomplished through him. Some of us may never see it, but you can be assured that Everything that happens to you is moving. If you follow God, if you keep, you know, sheltering yourself in God, it's moving towards God's glory and your fulfillment. That's what the Bible tells us as Joseph could, could you know, attest. So what this psalm is saying, it's not, I am going to protect you from danger. What it's saying is, I will protect you through all danger. That is the promise. You know that if you are in Him, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. He's protecting you through the danger you are safe in His hand. But thanks to this psalm, we understand that the two most important things that, that, that we need to know about God, that we have rest and peace in El Elyon, El Shaddai, and we have security of salvation through Yahweh Elohim. Because our, our safety, our security of salvation is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which, which frees us to live for Him and to be strong in the middle of situations like the one that we're living right now. This is where our strength should come from. Let's pray. Father, um, um, I clearly don't understand the situation that each person that is listening to these words is going through. Uh, it's, uh, it is always uh, different for each one of us how we face them and how we feel them. But I know, Lord, that when we understand your word, when we dive deep into your word and understand the promises that you have given us through it, our hearts will be full of peace. Our hearts will rest in you. Thank you for being this loving Father that was willing to pour out himself for us, that, that you will do this covenant, Lord, that will be based on your righteousness and not ours. Thank you for that security. I want to pray, Father, so that the hearts of every person that is listening to these words will be full with you, that you will empty us of ourselves, help us to just get rid of all the idols and just feel secure in you and in your hand. We love you, Father. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we thank you and we ask you for all your blessings. Amen. Love you guys more than you know.